This edition of The Wellness Prescription is brought to you by Healthy Planet, your source to healthy living. Welcome to The Wellness Prescription on 105.9 The Region. I'm Dr. Claudia. Thank you for joining me today. I am thrilled to introduce Dr. Philip Gold on the show. He is one of the world's leading researchers of depressive illness. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So, Dr. Gold, you believe that depression is not simply medicalized sadness. What do you mean by this? I think depression and sadness are very different from one another. With sadness, there's still the capacity uh, to experience uh, many feelings, uh, caring feelings, uh, uh, yearning feelings. Uh, One is in touch uh, with uh, their inner emotional life. With depression, there is a constriction of uh, feeling and uh, uh, the uh, the mood is is focused entirely on a dark, uh, hopeless uh, 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 mode. Uh, individuals f- feel worthless. They are uh, uh, very much afraid of what their future prospects will be for their deficient selves. Uh, they lack the capacity to anticipate or experience pleasure. Uh, and uh, it affects many physiological systems. And when you say that, it, you know, people who are depressed, they have like an emotional repertoire that is constricted to only deadening self-excoriation and hopelessness. What causes the sense of hopelessness? Do they have sadness first that then leads them to depression? What is like the, what is the, um, what generally happens when somebody is depressed? Yes, I think... Um, sadness doesn't uh, necessarily precede depression at all. It's a, it's a, a different process. And the depression affects areas in the brain, especially an area called the prefrontal cortex, uh, that estimates the likelihood of punishment or reward, makes uh, assessments about the value of the self that uh, influences uh, sleep, uh, appetite, sexual activity uh, that uh, determines the capacity to experience pleasure. Uh, and these, this, these areas actually lose tissue in the brain. So the depression is actually a neurodegenerative disease uh, where there's loss of tissue just as there is in Parkinson's disease. But they, uh, it affects an area of the brain that influences the sense of self the capacity to experience pleasure, uh, and uh, a whole variety of other uh, emotional uh, repertoires. So if we were to have an MRI or some sort of a scan on our brain and compare a person who is, let's say, not depressed to a person who is depressed, we would actually see that those areas of the brain that you're talking about, we would see um, you know, less you know, healthy tissue. We would see like tissue that is not as healthy as, a, as another individual. That's right. This, the area of uh, one of the areas of the uh, prefrontal cortex that influences uh, how you feel about yourself, uh, capacity to experience uh, uh, pleasure, and so forth, that area is reduced in size by 40% in depressed patients. You can see it on the wow. MRI. It's very clear. Now, we, you also say that the depression is a stress response that's gone awry. 
So can we say that an experience in our lives, some sort of a situation may have created this you know, hopeless, perpetuating, you know, doom and gloom thought that then cause the brain to constantly react and have the same stimulus and then causes that part of the brain to become, you know, ill and not as healthy? Yes. Uh, emotional memories are very well remembered uh, and they emerge during depression, but they are preferentially focused on past losses, failures, uh, 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 upsetness with self, uh, the memory of actually enjoying oneself and feeling well in the past uh, is virtually extinguished. And these emotional memories uh, constitute much of uh, what the depressed person is feeling. And the more uh, uh, painful, uh, despairing emotional memories they are, uh, they get retrieved. Uh, the more severe the depression. So can we relate it to something like PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder? Um, can those types of events create and, and lead us down the pathway of depression? Predisposed to depression. They decrease uh, the uh, propensity to stay well and increase the propensity to become depressed. Early losses of a parent or uh, unavailable or hypocritical parents, uh, other stressors during especially critical periods during childhood, adolescence, and actually throughout life uh, are encoded uh, in the emotional memory center and are preferentially retrieved uh, intensely with the feeling uh, that goes along with it uh, throughout the course of the depression. Now, is depression something that perpetuates? Does it get worse and worse and worse? Or can we manage, do some people stay at a certain depressive level? Um, or does it get worse and continue to get worse? And then the brain kind of deteriorates even further? It, it varies. But I think uh, in certain forms of depression, the uh, neurodegeneration progresses. Now, uh, the one thing that can uh, stop this process, arrest it, and perhaps even correct it, are uh, effective antidepressants. They uh, prevent the brain from uh, deteriorating. Otherwise, the tremendous uh, stress response that is established during depressive illness will uh, damage the brain and cause further deterioration. And later in the illness, for some people who've never been treated, uh, the uh, stimuli that it uh, takes to precipitate the depression uh, becomes uh, much milder than, uh, say, 20 years earlier. And uh, it is uh, followed by uh, the intense depression uh, that is characteristic of that person's illness. And when it comes to the fact that you know, if, if you're, if you say you, somebody says they're depressed and, you know, depression for a prolonged period of time can really cause deterioration of other bodily functions, other organ systems. And it, are those the type of people that maybe will experience your cardiovascular disease? Are, are people who are depressed more prone to other comorbidities? Yes, indeed. Uh, depression is a major risk factor for coronary artery disease, for stroke, for diabetes and osteoporosis. And the increased incidence of these illnesses is, is great in patients with depression, and it shortens their lives 
seven to 10 years. Stress hormones uh, and other uh, mediators, uh, chemical mediators of the depression uh, uh, affect the functioning of these systems and deteriorate them. And when it comes to treating with, you know, serotonin, something that's going to increase our serotonin levels, is that something that won't have any impact on a depressed person? Is that only for somebody who you who we believe is just sad? Uh, can we attempt to change, make a difference uh, starting with that? Uh, antidepressants are specifically related uh, to depressive illness. They uh, promote recovery from depression. They don't help with sadness uh, or uh, other uh, adverse experiences in life, but specifically with depression. And we now know that the antidepressants that uh, had been uh, attributed, whose actions had been attributed to increasing serotonin, don't actually act that way. They act by increasing a very important compound in the brain, which is a growth factor for brain. It's a tonic uh, for nerve, nerve cells. They keep them healthy and prevent them from dying. And that uh, compound is called brain-derived neurotropic factor, uh, brain-derived growth factor that uh, prevents the loss of tissue and corrects it, increases uh, the efficiency of neurotransmission, uh, promotes the birth of new neurons, which is important to keep the brain uh, uh, in uh, healthy uh, condition and so forth. It's a very important compound. And almost all antidepressants uh, act by acting on this compound. And if you give an antidepressant to an animal uh, model of depression, uh, the depression gets better. But if you block the actions of brain-derived uh, growth factor, uh, the antidepressant responses don't occur. So it's very, very crucial. And oh, it's so. uh, crucial to the loss of tissue. Without uh, much of this growth factor, tissues deteriorate and die. So a constant low-level stress response in our body, I mean, it doesn't have to be low-level, so any type of stress in the body could actually reduce the uptake of that important, uh, I guess you would call it a hormone? Yes. Okay, so when it comes to... Um, you know, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. That's a big word and there's a big buzz around it nowadays. Is that something that a depressed person, is that type of treatment that somebody who's depressed can attempt to try? Will it make a difference? Um, and is that something we should be using in conjunction uh, uh, to being uh, properly medicated? Yes, I think that the data show that a combination of psychotherapy and medication is much more effective than either alone. Uh, they are synergistic. Uh, if you treat with an antidepressant and the person begins to feel better, the unresolved conflicts of their lives, uh, the uh, types of uh, mechanisms that get them into uh, difficult situations with others in love and work uh, will generally override the uh, actions of the antidepressant. And uh, the a depressed patient will uh, relapse even on the medication. So basically, a combination of both therapies will kind of help to alleviate some of the symptoms and maybe help to heal a person from depression. Yes. You asked me earlier about how depression is a stress response that has gone awry. Let me talk for one or two minutes about what a stress response is. Let's say 
you're uh, hiking in the woods with friends uh, and, a far, and a fire breaks out. Uh, you're, very you're very anxious about it. You recognize that your life may be in danger. So one of the things that happens is that you're, uh, the active parts of your brain that uh, are sequence dependent and deal with complicated matters is generally placed on hold and you go on automatic with either instinctual uh, responses or those that have been learned in prior stress responses. Uh, you lose the capacity uh, or the capacity to experience pleasure is diminished during the stress response. And that's so uh, a person who is in a life and death situation or in any kind of stress response uh, doesn't want to stop and look at a beautiful uh, view, doesn't want to stop and, and eat, doesn't want to stop and sleep, doesn't want to stop and have sex. And uh, so uh, that's one of the normal things that happens during uh, stress. It doesn't cause demoralization. The person is still able to function effectively to try to escape uh, the consequences of the stress. Many other things happen. Uh, stress hormones go up, blood pressure uh, goes up, pulse rate goes up, blood clotting goes up as a stay against uh, a potential hemorrhage that can come during a uh, stressful situation. And inflammation goes up as a way of sort of anticipating tissue injury so that the immune system is primed to uh, address it and take care of it. Uh, now, those are normal stress responses, and they occur actually even during psychological stress, during public speaking. A person will have increased inflammation, increased blood clotting, uh, and uh, a variety of other physiological changes. So uh, that's one of the reasons I think stress uh, uh, deteriorates health and shortens life, even in people who are not depressed. So what happens in the depressed state is that uh, the good feeling about self is extinguished and there's this sense of worthlessness. The, uh, the decrease in the capacity to experience pleasure is virtually extinguished altogether as well so that there's no capacity to anticipate or experience pleasure. Uh, uh, the stress hormones are markedly increased in uh, levels and in their duration, and they uh, cause tissue breakdown. So the stress response, which is ordinarily essential for our surviving a dangerous situation, when it becomes uh, unregulated, uh, can cause disease. Uh, the same model applies to uh, another adaptive system, the immune system. Uh, the immune system exists to uh, fight infection, keep us well, but it can sometimes overshoot and actually begin attacking our own tissues and cause disease. So uh, autoimmune disease is when the immune response uh, is dysregulated and depression is when the stress response is dysregulated. That's a very, very good explanation and it makes the most sense. Now with depression, it attacks the prefrontal cortex. Is there a reason why it affects that part of the brain? Yes. Or can it affect other parts as well? It, it affects other parts of the brain as well. But for some reason, uh, this is the most finely tuned area of the brain. It influences a lot of our capacity to think, uh, to feel, and so forth. 
And it, for some reason, it seems to be excessively vulnerable to stress. Stress uh, changes the structure and function of, of cells in the prefrontal cortex rather easily. And uh, these deteriorate and set into motion the cascade of depressive illness. When we come back, more from Dr. Gold and his book. This is The Wellness Prescription on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us. Have a question for Dr. Claudia? Call us at 416-335-1059. Tweet us at 1059 The Region or email us info at 1059theregion.com. The Wellness Prescription with Dr. Claudia on 1059 The Region. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to The Wellness Prescription. Before the break, Dr. Gold so kindly and concisely explained to us how depressive illness leads to neurodegenerative disease. And he helped me understand that it's not simply a chemical imbalance. Now, Dr. Gold, you wrote an amazing book. Let's talk a little bit about your book. What's the title of the book? And what is the main message in your book? The book is called Breaking Through Depression. And uh, there are several uh, important uh, parts to it. One, it states that uh, depression is not a weakness or uh, an inability to adapt effectively to life, but rather uh, a uh, severe physiological disturbance in the brain and in the body. And my sense is that depressed people deserve a lot of credit and respect for being able to bear the enormous despair and uh, uh, emotional pain of depression uh, without, uh, for the most part, falling apart or taking their lives, although there is uh, a significant increase in suicide in patients who become depressed. Um, So that uh, that's one, one point, and that therefore this should diminish the uh, uh, stigma uh, that are attached to depression uh, and the idea that if a depressed person was strong, they could pick themselves up by their bootstraps. Another uh, important component is that psychotherapy is an important component of depression and, uh, uh, in treating depression along with pharmacotherapy. And the two generally need to be uh, utilized together. The third is that uh, uh, depression causes breakdown of tissues outside of the brain and produces premature uh, coronary artery disease, uh, stroke, diabetes, and osteoporosis. Uh, And that doctors should be aware that patients with depressive illness are more vulnerable uh, to these uh, illnesses and there are currently available uh, uh, capacities to assess these systems and to determine if they're vulnerable and ways of correcting the vulnerabilities. So that's an important uh, uh, point. As a matter of fact, because of the uh, despair and disturbances in interpersonal relationships and sense of self and the physiological uh, components of depression, the World Health Organization ranks depression as the second greatest cause of disability worldwide and the greatest cause of disability in individuals under 45. Uh, That is because depression is a a lifetime illness for many people. And uh, it comes in episodes that uh, flare uh, 
and uh, resolve, flare and resolve, and uh, that, uh, you know, it doesn't really spontaneously resolve very often and never come back. That's one of the reasons I tend to keep patients on antidepressants for very long periods of time, because the data are that if they remain treated for long periods of time, even when they're well, uh, the propensity for a recurrence of the depression is significantly diminished. I, I absolutely love that you um, are making an impact in trying to remove the stigma and you're giving credit to people who are suffering from depressive illness. I think it's such an important, um, an important way of us to help heal society where we look at it, you're looking at it very differently than what people are portraying depressed people. I think it's so important. And I love the fact that you would like people to stay on antidepressants. I think you're going to help heal a lot of people and give people encouragement, even the listeners who are listening to this show. What are two of the medications that you often recommend? Uh, the uh, specific serotonin uptake inhibitors uh, like Prozac and uh, Zoloft, uh, other antidepressants that they don't work by affecting serotonin, they work by affecting actually uh, brain-derived growth factor, but uh, they're called specific serotonin uptake inhibitors. If you interfere with the serotonin system uh, in patients or animal models receiving antidepressants, uh, you don't block the uh, efficacy of the specific serotonin uptake inhibitors, so that's not how they work. There are other drugs that uh, are known to affect multiple neurotransmitters like Effexor, uh, 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 and uh, they are useful in treating depression. There's a new one that's come out that's quite effective uh, in patients who may not respond to others called Trintilix uh, that I found to be a very effective antidepressant. There's another that's very effective uh, it's called mirtazapine. It is uh, a wonderful antidepressant, but in 60% of individuals, it causes a marked increase in appetite. So the most, some of those people can't tolerate it because of weight gain. But if they don't experience that, uh, it has uh, great efficacy in treating depression. I often have to treat depression with more than one medication. And that was going to be my next question. Is it generally a cocktail of medication and antidepressants that you would prescribe uh, you know, a patient? And how long after commencing a form of you know, therapy, how long can a patient expect to see results? Right. I, I think that the data are that if you treat a single episode of depression and stop the antidepressant, the uh, uh, relapse rate at one year is as much as 35%, 40%. But if you maintain the antidepressant treatment, it falls to about 10%. So keeping the medication on board for at least a year, and I keep people on the medication for years if they've had recurrent depressions. Uh, they're safe. They actually protect the brain. They're neuroprotective. And uh, uh, they don't uh, really have very uh, significant effects on the, the physiology of the rest of the body. They don't increase the uh, likelihood of getting a serious illness. That's a, that's a, a great like, outcome. And I know that you're also, in your book, you talk about 
developing, a, you know, genetically thumbprinted antidepressants. This sounds fascinating to me. And if we could, you know, get into somebody's genetics and create an antidepressant that will, you know, work well with their DNA, I mean, who knows what that future holds? That would that would be a great uh, advance in giving us uh, targeted, uh, individually uh, programmed uh, treatment for patients with depression. The other thing, there are a number of new drugs that uh, are on the market that have. Uh, that are being tested, and they are drugs that stop the neurodegeneration. Uh, they increase uh, the connections among neurons, which is uh, diminished in patients with depression. They increase the growth of uh, the birth of new neurons, which help uh, deal with stress and uh, clear up some of the manifestations of the depression. Uh, and so uh, drugs that do these things uh, and that affect those targets are also proving to be effective antidepressants. So there's a whole new generation of drugs that are coming out. Uh, I think that will be more efficacious than what we have now. They act rapidly. Uh, they tend to uh, uh, induce a response that is more stable. Uh, uh, they're safe. Uh, and some of these drugs uh, are... Uh, the so-called psychedelic agents, uh, a group of courageous doctors went ahead and tried very low doses of uh, a drug uh, you mentioned earlier, uh, psilocybin, which is uh, uh, magic mushrooms. And this agent is a very effective antidepressant. There was a paper in the New England Journal of Medicine showing that it was more effective than Prozac. Uh, in treating depression. Oh. And th these agents are, several of them are being tested and are in clinical trials and I think will become available soon to treat depression. So I, I think the, 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 the treatment uh, opportunities for treating depression is really uh, growing exponentially. And in three or four more years, we'll have a whole new repertoire of antidepressants uh, to apply that will be much more effective than the ones that we use at present. The ones that we use at present are very effective. They treat effectively about 60%. So far, we think that the newer agents uh, are going to uh, be associated with less treatment resistance. Well, that all sounds so exciting. And once again, I so admire the fact that you are trying to really change the stigma and give a lot of credit to people who are suffering from depression. And your book, it's incredible. Can you please tell listeners where they can learn more about you and where they could buy the book? I guess they can learn more about me if they Google uh, Philip Gold, NIH, and they can buy the book in many places, Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, uh, most bookstores, I think, would have it that's amazing thank you so much for your time and you can always find me on instagram at claudia underscore Machiella or my website claudiamachiella.com that's my show for this week if you missed it go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcast including apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, amazon music and of course audible I'm Dr. Claudia. Thank you for listening, and I hope this helps you live your best life. The Wellness Prescription was brought to you by Healthy Planet. Order online at HealthyPlanetCanada.com or go online to find a location nearest you.